Welcome back, Missio family. Today, you'll hear Pastor Josh talk about how God can use whatever means necessary to accomplish His will. If you have any questions about Missio, you'd like to join a missional community, or you have any prayer requests, please contact us at missio.life. Have a seat. I want to welcome you this morning. And you guys have probably done this. I know I have. Where you you think you know a song lyric and you sing it out like you're listening to the radio and you're belting out the song and your family or friends are like, uh, that's not the actual lyric. Anybody ever done that? I think we've all probably done that. And uh, this morning, I was coming up with a title for this message. And I was thinking of Jonah, we're in the book of Jonah, and thinking about him being on the run. And so my title is Man on the Run, because I was thinking of that Paul McCartney song. And then I looked it up, and it's actually banned on the run. And I'm like, (laughs) shoot. But I wanted to use it anyway, so I stuck with the title. And, you know, in sermon prep world, it takes you down rabbit trails at times on the internet. And so I looked up, what are the most misunderstood lyrics of songs? And I want to share a few of them with you. First one is Tiny Dancer by Elton John. The lyric is, hold me close, tiny dancer. What most people hear is, hold me close, Tony Danza. (laughs) Different meaning there, right? Um, I'm a believer by the monkeys. The lyric is actually, I saw her face, now I'm a believer. People tend to hear, I saw her face, now I'm going to leave her. (laughs) Yikes. (laughs) And one that... One of my friends here today, I'm not going to share the name of this person, I don't want to embarrass this person, but uh, the song by America, Horse With No Name, the lyrics are, I'm riding through the desert on a horse with no name, and the person thought, I'm riding through the desert on a horse with no legs. So there you go. Had had a good time with that one. So I stuck with the title, um, The Man on the Run. Jonah was more of a solo act, he didn't have a band, um, but he was on the run. And so today we're in this new series kicking off um, this set of messages about Jonah. And Jonah is an interesting guy. He's uh, what we would call one of the minor prophets in the Bible. It doesn't mean that he's any less important. It just means that his work, uh, Jonah, the book of Jonah is only four chapters. It's fairly short compared to some of the major prophets is what we would call like Isaiah or Jeremiah. Those are much longer books. So Jonah's still important. It wasn't like he didn't make it to the majors. You know, he, he's a minor prophet, but he has some things for us to learn from. His name uh, in Hebrew actually means Yonah, which is dove. And so Jonah's name means dove, which if, you, if you've uh, studied anything about the Bible, you know that the dove is symbolic. The dove is a symbol of peace and uh, hope. And we see the dove show up in other places in Scripture. So the story of Noah and the ark. Noah's on the ark. God had destroyed the earth with a flood, and Noah and his family are hanging out on the boat waiting for the water to go down, and they send out a dove. And the dove returns with the branch in his mouth, and it's a sign of hope, new beginnings, right? And so we also see the dove present when Jesus was baptized. Jesus went under the water, and the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit came down in the form of a dove, and so it's a sign of of new beginning, of hope and renewal. And that's what Jonah's name meant. He was dove, and his father's name was Amittai, which meant truth, 
And so these are some important realities, but we're going to see from the story, Jonah might not actually live up to his name of Dove. So we think of the story of Jonah. Many, many of you have probably seen VeggieTales. Anyone seen VeggieTales? Like, right? So you've already got this in your mind, but we think of Jonah as a kid's story. Oh yeah, such a cool story. You know, Jonah and the, and the whale and um, you know, we have the flannel graphs in Sunday school and the coloring pictures, and it's just a very fun story for kids. But it's not just a kid's story, right? It's, it's a story from the Bible that is true. Some people don't even think it's true, uh, and they think it's a fictional thing, which reminds me, there was a, I don't know if you guys heard the one about the little girl and the atheist. Um, little girl was talking about the story of Jonah, and the atheist said, you don't actually believe that story, do you? Like, that's fictional. Nobody believes that stuff. And the little girl says, well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to go find Jonah, and I'm going to ask him about it. And the atheist looks at her, and he says, mockingly, well, what if Jonah's not there? And the little girl then looks at him, and she says, well, then you can ask him. <laughs> so anyway, it is a true story. comes from the Bible. Um, and I think that as we look at the book of Jonah, we might find that it has some surprises for us. And we might find that it's not just about Jonah and his experience going into the belly of this whale, but it's actually more about God and his heart for people. And so I think we're going to find that as we look through this, and it's less about Jonah and more about God. Just a, a spoiler alert, every story in the Bible, God is the hero, it's not about the, the characters. There are characters in the story. God's always the hero of every story. So I'm just throwing that out there. All right. So let's read from Jonah. Jonah chapter 1. If you have a Bible, you can open it or a Bible app. Otherwise, we have it on the screen. And we're going to read this first 16 verses together. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a, a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots. And the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? And what is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then he said to them, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. 
For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not, uh, lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, they hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging, and the men feared the Lord exceedingly. They offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows. If you're following along, that's what we call a cliffhanger. We're not reading the last verse, okay? We'll talk about that next week. But what a story, right? God says to Jonah, get up and go to Nineveh. Pretty simple instructions. Jonah is a prophet. That's his job is to listen to God and to deliver a message. That's what he's used to doing. He does it all the time. But not this time. He says, no thanks, God. Not going to do it. Not going to go. So Jonah runs. Jonah is the man on the run, right? And so to understand why would he just flat out disobey God, we have to understand a little bit about the context here. So Jonah is a prophet of the nation of Israel, and Nineveh is the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. Now, the Assyrians were enemies of the Israelites. The Assyrians were ruthless. They had a huge army, and they would go around, and they would sack villages, and they would take slaves. And so they were evil people, and God, actually, if you know some of the history of Israel, they actually, God used the, the, the Assyrian army to punish Israel for disobeying him in the past. So Jonah's like, Nineveh? Assyrians? Forget that. No thanks, God. Like, I'm on your team. I'm, I know I'm supposed to do what you tell me, but that's just a little too much for me to do. And so according to um, chapter 4, verse 11, you know, just to kind of think ahead in this, this story, there's about 120,000 people in Nineveh. And they were evil, right? Witchcraft, idolatry, immorality, all these kinds of things, just sin coming up before God. And God says, it's coming up before me. We need to do something, Jonah. Let's go. So in a nutshell, Jonah hated the Ninevites, and he did not want them to receive God's mercy. He's like, they don't deserve it. They're scumbags. They don't deserve your mercy, God. So Jonah goes down, pays the fare, right? Pays his money, gets on the boat that's going the wrong way, and he figures that if he just gets on this boat, he can somehow outrun God, right? Just a crazy thought to think about. So Jonah underestimates God's power and his sovereignty. And you got to think, did Jonah really think that he was going to outrun God by getting on this boat? I mean, it's like a kid. They, they pull the blankets over their head and think mom and dad don't know where they are. Like, it's that kind of thing. It's that silly. Like, come on, Jonah, you're, you're a prophet. You should know how this works. But you can't run away from God's presence. And the Bible tells us that in Psalm 139. It says, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take to the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. It even tells us right, right there in Psalms that if I go out on the sea, God knows where I am. Jonah, you know this. And so I, I wonder... Maybe he thought he was going to get away with it. Maybe not. I don't know. He tried. And I want to show you a map 
to, to see how devoted he was to his plan. So Jonah was by Joppa. This was a Mediterranean port city. And you see where Nineveh is. It's about 550 miles, which pretty good journey, right? Could have, could have gone up and to the right. But he gets on this boat to go to Tarshish, which is 2,500 miles in the wrong direction. It's like from here to Dallas is like 1,200 miles. That's like twice that far. He was getting on a boat. How long would that have taken him? Good grief. The guy was obviously committed to this plan. And he thought that he could get away. But Jonah's decision to run revealed something about his heart, didn't it? There was an issue with his heart. He he didn't want to obey God, didn't want to trust him. And so he was rebellious and he went in the other direction. And I don't know, maybe you felt that way with God before. Maybe there's been some rebellion in us. Maybe God's prompted you or stirred you to love someone you didn't want to love, to care about someone you didn't want to care about. Well, God, I can't, I can't minister to those people. I can't serve them. They look different than me. They're a different race. They're a different um, political background. They're a different socioeconomic situation. Sound familiar? It's easy for us to do the very same thing that Jonah did. It's easy to say, oh, Jonah, come on, dude. Just go do what God told you. But we have that same kind of rebellious heart that says, I'm sitting in a place of judgment and pride and I'm going to look down on you. Yeah. Let you in on a little secret. If you become a, seek, a disciple of God, a disciple of Jesus, God is going to ask you to do things that you don't want to do. It's just the reality. God's going to ask us to do things that we don't want to do because it's outside of our comfort zone. And God's going to call us to love people that we don't naturally want to love. Because we're sinful and we're selfish and we like people that are just like us. And we don't want to care about people who are unlike us. Or maybe we have some some rage or some anger like Jonah did towards the people. See, Nineveh is whatever pulls us out of our comfort zone. Nineveh is the place God calls us that we don't want to go. Nineveh is that thing that we hate and God loves. Nineveh is whatever... God needs to pull on us to go and to give the message. So I want to just pause for a minute, a couple discussion questions, then we'll move on. And so I just want to ask you guys, um, have you ever run from something that God asked you to do? Anybody ever been a man on the run or a woman on the run and did, you know, kind of tried to get out of something that God asked you to do and how did it work out? Anybody want to be brave? I shared my story last week. I was on the run for a lot of years. God got a hold of me. How about you guys? It doesn't work out out to run away? Why not? You're running on your own will? Yeah. Any more you want to share about? No? Okay. (laughs) Thanks for being brave. Why Why would God ask his followers to do things that they might not want to do? Why would God do that? Why would he ask us to do things that aren't natural or that we don't necessarily want to do? Well, that was very profound (laughs) from a young man. (laughs) If it was easy, there'd be no purpose in life. Well said, yeah. Any other thoughts? Sometimes doing what you don't want to do makes you a better person. Yeah, because we're not naturally like God. Like, we need to be formed into his image, right? What were you going to say? Did you have something? Yes, 
Say it again. It's a part of life. Yeah, it's a part of what God wants to do in us to make us more like Jesus. Yeah. So we see that Jonah runs. That's the first thing. He runs away from God, but then God responds, doesn't he? And so verse 4, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. So God's not fooled by Jonah's attempt to run. Jonah's trying to get away. God says, Jonah, I know right where you are. Here's a storm, and the storm starts raging, and the ship is being thrown around, and it's dangerous. And the crew, these guys, they're like, these sailors, they're going, something's going on here. Now, these were a polytheistic group of of guys, so they worshipped lots of gods, a god of the sea, god of the sky, god of the sun, the moon, whatever. And they're like, surely something's going on. I don't know if the storm was at the wrong time of year. Something was off about this storm, and they knew we need to get to the bottom of this. So they start casting lots, which is a little bit like throwing dice, and they're trying to figure out who ticked off the gods. Why is this storm here? And God in his power and his sovereignty directs them through their little dice game to figure out it's Jojo and he's downstairs. He's sleeping. And the the captain says, get him up here. Like, he shouldn't be sleeping. He needs to help us figure this out. We're going to die. And so they bring Jonah up and they start to question him. They know something's going on. This is what they ask him, where are you from? Who do you work for? And this is what he said in verse 9. I am a Hebrew. And I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. The men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For they knew, the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. He told them. So Jonah is busted. Cat's out of the bag. It's Jonah's fault. And the crew's, we got to do something. We're going to die. Now, I like the water and I like boats. I have a boat. Mostly go on lakes and the river. Um, I've been on a few big boats. I haven't spent a lot of time at sea. Maybe some of you have. But I've seen those movies, like The Perfect Storm. I don't want to be out there. Like those ships can be just flipped over and broken half by the power of the sea. And so these guys, they knew the ship was like coming apart. They're pretty worried about it. And they're like, we need to do something. So they get him up there and they're not really sure. So they're running out of options. They've got Jonah and he tells them that he's the fall guy. But what's interesting about this is God gets the attention of the crew, doesn't he? He gets the attention. The storm comes. He gets Jonah's attention. But the crew and Jonah respond very differently. See, God is able to get our attention if he wants to. God got got the attention of everybody on that boat. And sometimes God uses a storm to get our attention. See, we can be pretty independent of God. We can be living life and say, God, I got this, family's good, work's good, just living my life until something happens, we have a little financial crisis, or we have a health crisis, or something starts to crumble in our lives, and all of a sudden we realize we're in over our head. The ship's coming apart. We need God's help. And that's when people tend to cry out to God, is when there's crisis, there's a situation that we can't handle, and we realize that we need Him. But there were two very different responses from Jonah and the crew. See, the crew, they cried out to God for help. They didn't even know God, right? These are men who don't know Jehovah, the God of Israel, and yet they're asking for help. What does Jonah say? I don't just throw me overboard. I'd rather die. Just just toss me over. He didn't know that there was going to be 
something big to scoop him up on the bottom of that ocean or the water. He just thought, I'm going to die. I would rather die than go to Nineveh. I hate my life. That's basically what Jonah was saying. Very different responses. God got their attention through a storm, but they responded very differently. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But I do want to ask two more questions here before we move on. When we face storms in life, what kind of emotions do we feel towards God? When you face that crisis, that storm in life, what kind of emotions are natural for us to feel? Anger? Abandonment? Fear? That's a, that's, yeah, that's a lot of them, right? Why? Why do we feel that way? Because this isn't the way it was supposed to be, right? This isn't fair. I don't want a storm. I want life to be great. I want all sunshine. How about the second question? Do you think God has a purpose in every challenge that we face? Or I think it's just all random. What do you guys think? Hey, and you know what? That's okay to say I don't know what it is. There's a lot of things we don't have the mind of God that his ways are higher than our ways, but he does have a plan. There's a purpose behind it. So even if we don't know the specific reason, what might God be up to during the storms of our lives? Why might he bring, bring something into our life? To draw us to himself. Hmm, that's an interesting idea. Yeah. So Jonah ran. God responded with the storm. Now we see Jonah overboard, right? Jonah goes overboard. The crew, they have Jonah in their sights. They know he's the problem, that he, he's the one who's caused this storm, but they're not really quite sure what to do next. So look at verse 11. Then they said to him, what shall we do that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up, hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that the great tempest has come upon you. And if, if we read on, it's funny because these sailors, they don't just throw them overboard right away. They start rowing harder. They're like, oh no, we're not going to kill this guy. We may be sailors, but we have morals, right? So they're rowing and they're saying, we're going to keep trying and it doesn't work. And they're coming to their wit's end. They say, there's no way. The only thing we can do is what Jonah said, which is toss him overboard. They obviously fear God more than Jonah does because they say, oh God, don't make us guilty of this man's blood. Like, we're in this situation and we don't know what to do and he's your guy, he's your prophet, but he's coming overboard, so... And they throw him into the water. They throw him into the water and immediately the storm stops. So this crew now realizes, whoa, this God is the real God. This is the God who oversees all the weather, all the waves, all the seas, these men made their living on the seas, and they, they found the God who's in charge of it all. So what do they do? They worship him. They make vows to him. They make sacrifices to him. And I'm sure they weren't, didn't do it all right. They didn't even know who he is, but their, their heart responds to God. Jonah said, nope, I'm just going to be a boat anchor. Just throw me over. I'm done. I'm out. And what's interesting to me about this story is how God multitasks, right? Jonah's heart is wrong, so God's dealing with Jonah's heart. Meanwhile, he's drawing this crew to himself. He's saying, 
I am the true God, the one that you've been looking for. And he reveals himself to the crew on the boat, all the while preparing Jonah to go on mission to Nineveh, to reach a city full of sinners, a city full of people who didn't want anything to do with God. They were far from God. And so he's orchestrating all this together. And I I don't think that our minds can probably comprehend how much God is able to do at one time, how many different storylines are going on. I mean, I'm a dude. I'm not real good at multitasking, right? I get focused on one thing. Anybody feel that way? Like, it's okay, I can do this one thing. I can see this one angle. But God is doing all these things together. And he's working all of these stories into one for his glory. But he knew Jonah's heart needed some work. And so Jonah went overboard. Now, if you think about it, God could have said, okay, Jonah, you're out of the game. I'm activating a new prophet. He's going to go over to Nineveh and pick up where you failed. But God didn't do that. God said, Jonah, you're rebellious, but I'm still going to work with you. I'm not done with you. And if God wouldn't have, you know, continued the story here, Jonah maybe would have been two chapters instead of four. Been like, Jonah died, next guy up, right? But he didn't. There's more to the story. God knew that Jonah's heart needed to change, and he was willing to discipline him. He was willing to work on his heart. See, here's the thing. God disciplines his children because he loves them, and he knows what is best for them. Jonah was rebelling against God, so God corrected him. Hebrews 12, 6. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. So God loves Jonah, and he's going after him. He's trying to to change his heart. He's trying to give him a perspective and get him back going in the right direction. I don't know how many of those 2,500 miles he got, but he had to turn, turn back around and head back to Nineveh. But God disciplines Jonah because he loves them. And that's what loving parents do, right? I mean, I know there's... There's exceptions, there's abusive parents, there's bad parents, but for the most part, a parent, a godly parent, does what's best for their kids because we love them, right? If a child's to run across the street, we say, whoa, whoa, whoa Johnny, stop. You need, to, you need to look both ways. You can't run out there. You're going to get hit by a car. But if a parent stands on the curb, lets their kid run across the street and gets hit by a bus, does anybody say, wow, those are some loving parents? No way, that's negligent, right? They're horrible parents because parents discipline their kids out of love. And God is the perfect father who disciplines us because we need it and he knows what's best for us. He's not out trying to smack us or get us or zap us. He he does what's best because he knows and loves us more than we could ever understand. And that's what he's doing with Jonah. That's what he does with us. So God disciplines his children because he loves them and knows what's best for them. A couple more questions, and we're going to wrap this up. Why is it sometimes hard to believe that God still loves us when we are being disciplined? Anybody struggle with that? God, you still love me even though I'm feeling some discipline from you right now? Why is it hard to believe that he loves us? It's not what we want. What do you mean by that? We want our way. We want to run away. God says no. 
Because we think we know best. Yeah. We don't want to live with the consequences of our own decision. Yeah. We just blame somebody else. Blame God, maybe, right? It's his fault. Yeah, that's important. We don't see the outcome. Sometimes we don't see the big picture. So God's disciplining us in some area of our life, and we're saying, all this hurts, God. You know, you're, you're, you're correcting me. He says, no, but you don't see what I'm doing, the big picture and, and what you're becoming, the character that I'm working in you. So it might be painful in the short run. And the other question is, is there something God has asked you to do that you haven't followed through with? Maybe an area of disobedience. You don't have to share this if you don't want to, but think about it. Is there something that God's laid on your heart to do and you've just said, no, no thanks. I'm going to go to Tarshish. I'm going to take a boat. I'm going to go the wrong way. My guess is in a room this size, there's probably a number of us that have some things that God's put on our heart to do, to obey, and we just say, nope, we get that choice. God gives us the ability to do that, to obey or not obey, right? And I love the story of Jonah because it's fun. I mean, right? There's fish and boats and storms. And... But it reveals so much of God's heart. The story of Jonah is about God's heart for people. God loves Jonah enough to bring him back. He orchestrates a lot of stuff to put him back on track. Like I said, he could have just wiped him out. Okay, Jonah, you're sinking. Because if you jump over, overboard in a storm... Pretty sure you're not going to outswim those waves, right? Jonah was going down. He thought he was going to die. So, so God had a heart for Jonah to redeem him. God had a heart for the crew to save them as well. And God has a heart for Nineveh, for the people who were actually the enemies of God's chosen people, Israel. And so it reveals his heart for people. And so there's a few things that we learn from this story that I want to wrap up with this morning the first one is this, God will ask you to do hard things. That's a reality. God will ask all of us as followers of Jesus to do hard things. And he will ask us to love people that we don't want to love. It's a reality. The second one, you can't outrun God. Where can I go from his presence? Nowhere. So God, if we're a believer in Jesus, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit dwells within us. You can't get any closer to God than that. Amen? And if you don't know Jesus, if you're just kind of exploring all this faith stuff, the Holy Spirit is right there. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. He wants to come into your life. So the, the Spirit, God, is pursuing people all the time, whether we know Him by faith or not. And He is, we can't outrun Him, as we see from this story. You can be out in the middle of an ocean, on a boat, with the waves, God knows exactly where you are. He sees you. He knows you. He knows your story. It's crazy. The Bible says he knows how many hairs are on your head. You know, how do you do that? I don't know. It's crazy. And the last thing is that when we need discipline from God, when we rebel and we run away, he knows exactly how to bring us back. He says, I love you, and I'm going to do what you need. I'm going to do what's best for you. He's not punitive. He's not harsh. He is a loving father. See, our earthly parents sometimes mess it up, right? Dad's in here. You ever, like, got the parenting thing wrong? Maybe went a little too far? Yeah, we have because we're human. We're, we're fallen. But
But God never does that. He always gives the perfect amount of discipline, the perfect amount of whatever we need because he is perfect and he's our loving father. You can't get away from God. And so this morning, I guess I want to end with just this challenge to say, are you running from him today? Are you literally running? Maybe, maybe some of us are feeling far from God and we're, we're feeling ashamed. Oh God, I just, I don't know if I want a relationship with you and I'm, I'm kind of running away from that. Or maybe God's laid something on your heart and, and you know him by faith, but he's asked you to do something. You're like, nope, can't do it. God, I'll follow you up to this point, but I won't do that. So whatever that is, whatever the Holy Spirit is stirring in you today, stop running. It's so much better if we just stop running. And we just trust our Father and we say, okay, God, I don't understand why you're sending me to Nineveh. I don't like those people. But maybe you know what you're doing. Maybe I can trust your heart. And maybe life goes a lot better when we stop running. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this story of Jonah. And what it teaches us about your heart, God, what it teaches us about you. And what we learn is that you are a God that pursues people. You are a missionary God. You are a God on the move. And so, Lord, thank you for pursuing us. Holy Spirit, we know that you are here today and that you are pressing on hearts and that you are speaking to us and drawing us to yourself. Let us not resist that. Let us not have a heart of rebellion but a heart that says, okay, I trust you. And even if I don't understand, I'm going to walk by faith. I'm going to obey. So Lord, we love you and we thank you for your word. We thank you for grace. Thank you for second chances. We thank you that you haven't given up on us. Even if we have failed, even if we have rebelled against you, that you give us grace give us the opportunity to turn and go in the other direction. We love you, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we close? Josh left us with a few takeaways from this service. God will often ask you to do things you don't want to do. Like Jonah, we can always find a boat sailing in the wrong direction. God sometimes sends a storm to get our attention. God disciplines his children because he loves them and knows what is best for them. In summary, Josh left us with three points. One, God will ask you to do the hard things. Two, you can't outrun God. Three, when we need discipline from God, he does it out of love. Discussion questions. Have you ever run from something God has asked you to do? How did that work out? Why would God ask his followers to do things they might not want to do? When we face a storm in life, what kind of emotions do we feel towards God? Do you think God has a purpose in every challenge we face? What might it be? 
Why is it sometimes hard to believe that God still loves us when we are being disciplined? Thanks again for listening, Missio family, and we'll see you again next week.